0: This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 32 through 49. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's back. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine.
1: Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? and he cursed david for the names of his gods by the names of his gods come over here and i will give you give your flesh to the birds and wild animals goliath yelled david replied to the philistine you come to me with sword spear and javelin but i come to you in the name of the lord of heaven's armies the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied today the lord will conquer you and i will kill you and cut off your head And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The, stones, the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Be to
2: God. Hang with me. I know you know the story. I'm not sure if we know the whole story. It's a picture of the Elah Valley. Uh, a number of us were there uh, this past. Uh, May late May and a fascinating place and you have the valley which is here And then you have a series of ridges these hills all the way around. Let's go to the next one here Yeah, and I took this picture and and here is uh, one side of it Now you have the Philistines on the southern end over here on these ridges and uh, The Israelites on this side on the northern end and and I say ridges and that's important I'll be honest, whenever I heard this story, I pictured the Philistines on one side of a field and the Israelites on the other side, just like a football game. wasn't like that, though. They were on these series of ridges, so it's like you had the Philistines on this series of ridges on one side going around in a half circle, really a broken half circle, and then you had the Israelites on these ridges on the other side. Have Anybody ever been to Gettysburg before and and the bat you remember little round top and big round top, kind of like that. It's these ridges that are right beside each other. So really you have more of this panoramic arena that's going on. And in that arena steps one huge individual. By ancient standards, he was a giant. If you take all the different calculations that scientists and scholars put together, he was at least six foot nine, probably larger than that. Huge person. Uh, bronze helmet, full body armor, javelin, spear, shield, a massive human being whose name was what? Goliath. Very. I heard a young person say it before. Who said that over there? Come on. Okay, I see. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. Uh, extra points for you. Okay, his name was Goliath, and he begins to trash talk the Israelites and trash talk their very God, and he challenges someone to come out to fight. Now, that was a common practice in the ancient world. In order to avoid massive bloodshed with an all-out battle, oftentimes two armies would send out their best person, uh, their strongest person, to go fight mano a mano. You might remember West Side Story. There's a scene where the two best fighters get out there, at least for a moment, to fight. But here's Goliath looking ominous, uh, imposing, so intimidating, and nobody's coming out there to see him, and, and you just cannot imagine what he was wearing. He had this tunic that, that had just, just hundreds of these overlapping uh, bronze fish-like scales that, that weighed more than 100 pounds and covered him all the way down to his arms, the ends of his arms, and down to his knees. He had shin guards made of bronze as well to, to guard his legs, had bronze plates on his feet to guard his feet. Had to look incredible. Uh, he also had a spear, a javelin, and a shield. The iron tip of the spear was 15 pounds. Imagine that, 15 pounds. And both the spear and the javelin could, could penetrate the armor of any enemies that they would fight. It was known just to pierce any armor of the day. Poor King Saul doesn't know what to do. He's not going to go out and meet him, though Saul could well have been the largest person on the israelite side he was known to be a hulk of a man himself but he wasn't going he wasn't going and they're all at a stalemate there at least in terms of the israelites not having someone to go out there and meet him and then sauntering along up one of these ridges is um, a young shepherd boy from a little hamlet called bethlehem a little shepherd boy whose name was what david well done oh i heard you there well done David. He goes up there with some food. He's bringing food to his three oldest brothers who were already in Saul's army fighting for him. And he finds them, starts just chattering with them. And then he hears somebody yelling from the valley here. And whoever this guy is, is trash talking not just his people, but his God. And he ain't going to have any of that. Listens to this hulk warrior, and he is just indignant. In fact, this is what he says, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 26. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? He can't stand hearing this. Well, Saul hears about this guy probably on another ridge and says, oh, go, go get that guy. Let's see what he looks like. Maybe he'll take him. He had to be disappointed when he saw David because apparently David wasn't nearly as large as Goliath. But, but David says, hey, I'll take him. I can take him. And then what does Saul say? Look at the next verse here. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But I love David's response. And you've got to understand shepherds of that day. Uh, look what he says verses 34 and 35. But David persisted I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. How does the 23rd Psalm start out? The Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) You should feel protected by a shepherd, especially back in that day. How does it go on? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Anybody know the next next verse? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The staff was, and you see this in typical paintings of a shepherd, it's the crook, right, like that. And the rod really was a club, kind of like a, a smaller baseball bat. And that's what shepherds would use. It, it really, for one thing, they, they would hold off of... Uh, lion or a bear with the longer staff and sometimes they would try to put that in the jaw of the wild animal to try to pry pry out uh, the the, uh, lamb from the wild animal. And if they turned on them, they would be ready with the rod to kill them. These guys did this on a regular basis. David is saying, you know, I kill wild lions and tigers and bears. I heard that. Okay. (laughs) Tigers did not exist over there. But anyway, okay, let's stay with the kids over here. Okay. <laughs> no, but lions and bears, and, and and he could take them. He did this on a regular basis. I catch them by the jaw, club them to death. I've done this both to lions and to bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He just will not have that. And I love, Saul says, okay, the Lord be with you. Thank you, Saul. And... uh Saul offers him his own, what, armor and and, uh, uh, weaponry. And what does David say? Remember, he tries to put it on, and he says, I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. Look what he says. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. I can't wear this. I can't use what you have. I'm going to take them off. Well, what can you use, David? What do you have? Here we go. This is where we need to listen, because this is where we can miss it. At this point, we might even picture David as being this scrawny little guy going out to face a guy three times his size, and he's so outmatched, and only a miracle can cause him to defeat Goliath, right? Nope. No. David had enough for himself. He had enough giftedness for himself to give glory to God without needing a miracle from that God to whom he wanted to give glory. In ancient armies, you had three kinds of warriors. This is true. You had the cavalry. We would call it the cavalry, which was made up of what? Horses, men on horses, men on chariots. Then you had the foot soldiers, the infantry, right, who would just march right into battle. And then you had, well, back then, they would have called them the the projectile warriors. We would call them the artillery, and it was archers and slingers. And slingers were amazingly gifted and skilled they could take a rock or a, a a lead ball and put it in a leather pouch and swing it around and they would swing it around and get it into wider and ever wider circles and make it go faster and then they would launch it with amazing accuracy there are ancient accounts of these slingers who would wait to see birds take off far far away and they would use the sling and, and kill birds from way off These guys were amazing. Go to Judges 2016. Uh, These were some elite slingers who were in uh, the tribe of Benjamin. It said among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were southpaws, it says, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. They were known to be able to at least seriously injure someone from up to uh, 200 yards away. Pretty incredible. In fact, later on, the Roman army had to invent this special set of tongs that they would use to pry out uh, stones that would be lodged in the poor soldiers because of these slingers who slung them from a long ways away. Think about a major league pitcher. Think of a major league pitcher who you're batting against. And he is aiming at your head. Except what he's throwing is not a ball made of cork and leather. It is a large lead ball or a solid round rock. And he's aiming at your head. (laughs) Uh, But this is even worse than that. Now, that brings us to verse 40. Uh, Let's look at that. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag, then armed only with his shepherd's staff, the crook, and with the sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Do you see where it says five smooth stones from a stream? I want to go back and show you this picture I took when we were over there. Uh, this little pathway merges right here with the only known, and this is on uh, the northern end where the Israelites were. This is the only stream bed that you have there. Uh, you have, you see, you might see some people right there who are walking along it. That's the only now dry stream bed that's there on that side of the valley of Elah. Folks, that's where David got his, got his five smooth stones. Just to show you what they might look like, let me go. This was an archaeologist who did a replica of uh, one of the slings with the pouch. Do you see that there, the rock? And here's mine that I picked up over there in that very stream that was an amazing. That was our first place to go. And we were, I remember Will Chambers saying, I got my money's worth. It was amazing, just amazing. And so he grabs those five smooth stones. And then he gets some taunts for, you know, he gets down there. And, and this is what I love Goliath only sees this, the, uh, the crook, the shepherd's staff, right? He sees that. I think David is hiding the uh, sling. Because look at what Goliath says. Let's go to the next verse, verse 43. and he's basically taunting David. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? He sees the stick. He didn't see the sling. And he cursed David by the name of his gods, and David comes back with some talk of his own. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heavens' armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's defying Goliath. And you know what happens next, but I want you to notice one other thing. Let's go to verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. David is using his speed and his maneuverability to his advantage. Goliath clearly does not know what's coming on. Goliath thinks this is going to be a hand-to-hand thing. Mano, mano, let's just go to it. David says, no, that's not my plan, Sorry. And you know what happens at that point. As David is running, and they could do this thing as they ran. They were incredible. He places the stone in the pouch, starts slinging it, slinging it wider and wider. To the point where back then, he could do it with seven rotations in one second. And then he launched it. Aiming it well at a vulnerable spot, right? And you know what happens next. Dr. Eitan Hirsch, who's a ballistics expert with the Israeli Defense Forces, did some calculations on slingers and as they would uh, hurl a uh, rock. And he found out that they could hurl those things at 40 yards per second. Now, I want you to think about that. Let's, let's imagine that David was about 40 yards away from Goliath. Goliath had a second or less to do whatever he could, to, to, to block it with his shield, to duck whatever he had one second but he was not expecting this and david knew that he wasn't expecting it he didn't have any time to duck or anything else now what did david had he had a lot he had a lot some of us remember moshe diane do you remember that some of us remember the six day war back in 1967 and moshe diane was the great hero of that battle and uh, Moshe Dayan was also an expert on the bible and archaeology some of us actually have this book Uh, let's go to the next one living with the bible Uh, it's a wonderful book about uh, ancient archaeology biblical archaeology and he knew his stuff and he did an essay once on David and Goliath and he said this David fought Goliath not with inferior but on the contrary with superior weaponry And his greatness consisted not in his being willing to go into battle against someone far stronger than he was, but in his knowing how to exploit a feeble weapon by which a feeble person could seize the advantage and become stronger. He didn't even need a miracle. He knew what he was doing. It's kind of a good reframing of this story. He was using what he had, some beautiful scholarship that's come along just in recent years about all this. Some of y'all know who Malcolm Gladwell is, has those great books and he actually talks about this uh I think in one of his podcasts or at the beginning of one of his books. David took what he had and used it to bring God glory and victory. Now, the question for you this morning is what do you have? What do you have? Fast forward to the feeding of the 5000. That was just 5000 men larger group than that because that didn't include women and children right a lot of people and jesus has been teaching and the disciples come up to him and said hey these folks are getting hungry there are no stores or restaurants anywhere nearby we need to send them away to go get some food do you remember what jesus says you get them something to eat here's mark's rendition of and this is in all four of the gospels it's that significant an event. He answered to them, you give them something to eat. And I love it because the disciples decided, well, I'm going to do some cal- calculations to you know, uh, rebut what Jesus is saying. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? You remember what Jesus says. Look at verse 38. How much bread do you have? What, are you, what have you got? What do you have? Go and find out. And they find a boy... With, what, five loaves of bread, two fish? And you know what happens there. Anybody remember how many uh, baskets of bread were left over at the end? Anybody remember? Twelve. Very good. I almost wonder if that was a message for each of the disciples, (laughs) letting each one of them know, hey, you had a surplus that you didn't even realize. If you'll just give what you have, God will do what seems to be the impossible. But what do you have to offer? Don't ever shortchange the potential of any of the gifts that you have to bring to Christ. I'm not just talking about money or resources. I'm talking about your talents and your time and your attitude and all those things that, that on the whole culminate in being an incredible witness for Jesus. Let God take whatever it is you have. Moses had a stick and yeah, David had a sling. Mother Teresa had a, had a love for poor people. Johnny Erickson Tada has a disability but uses it in an amazing way. John Thomas has visions of how to keep a, a ministry called Living Hope running in Cape Town, South Africa. But they give these things that they have to god and they get transformed into being a profound ministry and witness on behalf of the kingdom don't shortchange what god can do with what you do have especially when he's calling you to step up and really give that and maybe he's telling you to do that in some particular way something might be holding you back maybe it's i don't know fear or negative attitude might be bitterness or resentment. It might be, you know, let, let's be honest, some greed or whatever it might be. But at some point, he's going to have you step up <laughs> and give at least what you have. And so I'm going to close with Scott Foster. Here's a picture of Scott Foster. I don't know if any of you all know this story. This happened a year ago. Scott Foster is a 36-year-old accountant, lives in Chicago, Illinois. And he had not played uh, any kind of serious, competitive hockey for 10 years but almost kind of on a whim he signed up to be the emergency goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks and it's really just kind of an honorary thing and they would always just give it to somebody who they liked and they liked his personality no one had ever actually had to go in no one ever actually went in and and to play in fact what he said was well really what it amounts to is I get to eat food at the press box that's that's a good gig Well, it just so happened that their main goalie got injured, and then the sub, whose name was Colin Delia, got injured in the third quarter of a game against the Canadiens, the the Montreal Canadiens. And so he was called into service. Hadn't played in 10 years, and only played, by the way, never was a pro. He played as a backup goalie for uh, the University of Western Michigan. So this really was just kind of an honorary, hey, he's a nice guy, let's give him this title, but like, hey, we don't have a goalie. And so he literally walked down from the stands, put on his gear, and took to the ice. And he said, all I remember was somebody saying, put your helmet on, and I don't remember much after that. Folks, he stopped all seven shot attempts that went his way. He wound up earning the team belt as player of the game, Social media went nuts, as you can imagine, and people on ESPN were just talking about him, analysts and everything. Couldn't believe this guy had never played professionally before, and it had been 10 years since he had played on a small university team. And Foster said, this is something that no one can ever take away from me. It's something I can go home and tell my kids. Well, Brookwood, I hope, you know, when we head home, when we go to our great homecoming in eternity, I hope folks here can see what we gave. I hope we'd be able to tell them, hey, this is how we contributed. This is what we offered. This is what we had. And it might not have seemed like much, but we were just willing to give it over. You know, God, God is never going to ask us to give more of ourselves than we can. But he can't do with what we don't give him, right? So what do you have? Let's pray together. Lord, remind us that we have the power to slay giants and feed multitudes and earn a belt of victory. We confess to you that sometimes we are too fearful, too self-consumed to give of ourselves in ways that we know we could. It it can be out of fear or doubt, lack of belief, maybe feeling inadequate. Whatever it might be, O God, we ask that you Help us to decide now to be good stewards of that which you have given us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.